Happy Friday and welcome back to the official Sasta podcast brought to you by Jason Lemkin, founder at Sasta, who can be found at JasonLK on Twitter, and me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC, and you can find me at H Stebbings, that's Stebbings with two Bs, on Snapchat. Now, I'm super excited for the show today because I actually met today's guest backstage at Sasta this year, and we had a fantastic chat, and so it's great that we finally made this happen. So joining me today, I'm delighted to welcome David Cancel. Now, in all honesty, David's career is so immense that I'm not really sure where to start. So let's go with this. David's currently the CEO at Drift, which allows you to talk to your website visitors and customers in real time from anywhere in the world. And prior to Drift, David was the chief product officer at HubSpot, having previously founded the likes of Performable, Ghostery, Lookery and Compete. Now, that really doesn't do David justice by any sense of the word, but David absolutely provides a better explanation in the show. So I will absolutely leave that to him also if you're loving the show then we'd be so grateful if you could leave a review on itunes it makes such a difference and we'd be enormously thankful but now it's time for the show and i'm delighted to welcome david cancel ceo at drift good that's perfect okay i think we're warmed up David, it's so great to have you on the show. As as you remember, we met at Sasta, so this really is brilliant for me to finally have you on the official Sasta podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. So happy to be here, Harry. Now, I'd love to get the ball rolling today by hearing a little about you and how you came to be the founder of Drift. What's the David Cancel bio? The David Cancel bio is too long at this point, <laughs> but I'll give you the highlights. But you can buy uh, the book in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've been at this a long time, 20 years. And, uh, you know, some friends call me the SAS OG. You know, in case you don't know that, that's a reference to original gangster. So that's like the old gangster. But, uh, but you know, people on my team don't know what that is. So they thought OG stood for old guy. So that works too. <laughs> I'm a serial founder. This is my second time as a founder CEO, but I've started five companies. And, um, and most recently, my last company was called Performable. And that company was acquired by a company called HubSpot, where I then spent three and a half years as the chief product officer there before leaving to start Drift. I'd love to then today dive into a few topics because there's so much, as we said, to unpack in in the incredible career you've had. But I want to start with a central strain of tension and difficulty for for all founders and CEOs, and I'm sure you've definitely encountered it. Um, So I want to discuss hiring with you. And you've previously said the one guiding rule you have on team building is to hire people and not skills. So I'd love to hear what you mean by this, really. Yeah, the, uh, you know, hiring has been a kind of central thing for me throughout my career, just figuring it out, getting good at it. You know, I'm naturally introverted. And so, uh, you know, how do you go about recruiting and how do you go about building a team? And I think, you know, like for all people who make something, one of the biggest shifts that you go through and I went through was shifting from making something to managing and or leading teams because all of a sudden you're going from this world where you can control something, you have immediate feedback on the thing that you created, having an indirect influence on folks and not really knowing for sometimes weeks, if not months, if you had any impact. And so uh, so I spent a lot of time really thinking about how to hire. And I think I did it totally wrong for years. And I kind of followed a conventional wisdom, which was to focus on all the easy to identify things and whether they were what school did this person go to? What past experiences did they have? Basically, what boxes could I check easily? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I ended up hiring some amazingly talented people and working with some great people. But I always felt that 
the individuals were strong, but they didn't make the best team, right? Because I really had been focused on just hiring the, you know, the all-stars, if you will, and uh, not really on team building. And then probably five to eight years ago, I, I turned it around and really started to focus on hiring people based on qualities that were important to me from a culture standpoint and qualities that I thought would make a great team. And of course, they they they're smart and they have great experience, but I really kind of flipped it on its head and really focused on the stuff that most people ignore, which is this person and, you know, what are they passionate about and what inspires them and uh, what do they like to be around in there? You know, is that someone that I want to be around? Is it someone that I can learn from, the rest of the team can learn from? Is it someone who wants to grow at the rate that the rest of the team wants to grow? And I'd love to discuss that because, you know, you had you had great success as an entrepreneur. So what was the catalyst then that made you convert this thinking from the checkbox hiring that you previously had to the more quality and value driven hiring that you have today? Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it was actually simple. I um, I built a, a team and a company that was probably you know around 200 employees at the time, and um, and there were some great people and lifelong friends that I made at that company. But I think I at one point I kind of woke up and looked around and said, you know, this isn't the culture that I wanted, and this was not the culture that I wanted to be around. And this I did not feel like I was tap dancing to work each day, as Warren Buffett says, and I wanted to feel that way. And uh, and so I started to examine why is that? You know, I was it was I founded the company, so uh, you know whatever had happened was my fault. So what did I do wrong? And I'm really pleased you brought up culture there because cultural fit is at the front of everyone's mind now in hiring, and it seems a bit of a buzzword. Mm-hmm. So so one thing I'm always intrigued by is you know no one's going to come out and say they are an OG in the interview. So how can you really <laughs> test for cultural fit in an interview? What do you uh, look for and determines the character that can fit into the team and learn from? Mm-hmm. Good question. So, um, yeah, I do think people use that word a lot, culture. And uh, and it's squishy. And just like hiring for uh, the qualities that I, that I mentioned, those are squishy and hard for people to wrap their heads around. So for me, it starts with, you know, what are the things that are important to us as uh, the beginning team or the founders of the team that we think are important qualities uh, that we want to look for. And uh, and so we start with those. And then as we start to uh, talk to people and start to interview people and start to hire, we really are looking for people who share some of those values. And one of our values, you know, I think our culture is really built here at Drift around learning. You know, we're all obsessed, including myself, probably the most around continuously learning and growing and, um, you know, and uh, kind of lifelong pursuit of that. And so we look for people who have that same curiosity and we look for um, people who we want to be around. That sounds so weird, right? It sounds so like, what does that mean? What does it mean be around? And uh, but it isn't that weird, right? You spend most of your time uh, working alongside uh, the people that you're bringing onto your team. So is this someone that you naturally want to be around? Or is this person a brilliant person and has a great CV, and uh, but you don't like talking to them and you can't stand being around them, right? Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people hire based on just those on the CV, and they have brilliant people, but they don't actually enjoy being around them. And I just think starting a company is way too hard uh, to be in that kind of environment. And so we're really looking for, is this someone who the team wants to be around? Is this someone that 
continuously wants to learn? Is this someone that whose personal goals align with the opportunities that we have at this stage in the business? And if we can match those two things, then that person will become superpowered because they are doing things for both for business outcome, but largely for a personal outcome because they're trying to learn something or they're trying to grow. And it just so happens that that intersects with what we're trying to do within the company. I'm really intrigued by one, by one aspect of hiring that a guest the other day brought up with me. And he said, you can't always hire 18 players because if you only have 18 players, the competition and the culture between them will be so kind of fragmented <laughs> and competitive that they'll all be willing to beat each other and the company doesn't progress. Where do you stand on this kind of incompatibility of all 18 players? Um, I kind of agree and disagree. I think um, I, I know it. I think I know where that person's comments are coming from. And I think that is what happened to me before I made this switch, where I only hired for whatever those A grade qualities are, right? And that was my only filter. Today, my filter includes, obviously, I'm trying to hire people who are at a certain level. But before that, I want to make sure that there's someone that we want to be around. So I, I kind of think about it this way. Like, if you were to think about all the people that you meet whether it's professionally or personally, and you were to say, how many of those people do I enjoy? Do I want to be around? And if they were to call me the next day or message me, I would actually want to reply to them. And the answer from most people is not many. So why not start your, the hiring process using that same filter? Basically, is this a person that's compatible and that I want to be around before going to the traditional filter of, and you know, what skills do they have and what school do they go to and blah, 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 et cetera. And, and that's what I did. I flipped it and said, first, I'm going to hold that up because I know that is the highest order filter possible. Mm-hmm. And, and this may surprise you, but some people in the past have label, labeled me as scrappy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very kind of them. Um, yeah, but you've I also, believe it. You've also stated the importance of being scrappy in the hiring process. Mm-hmm. So I'm really intrigued as, as to what you think this entails and how you look for the scrappy characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, Super important is back to like our defining values, like uh, in all of our companies in recent history, this has been a core to it. And, you know, you can call it scrappiness or grit or, you know, people call it different things. I I like scrappy. And uh, to me, it's basically someone who can make something from nothing. It's someone who um, will figure out a way to get it done. And the way that we screen for this is, uh, is actually pretty simple. We start to talk to people about what are they trying to learn, you know, and it, let's say if it's a developer is an easy case and they say, oh, I'm interested in learning uh, Go, the programming language. Mm-hmm. And we say, great, what have you done in Go? And they say, nothing. I haven't had the opportunity to do it yet. That's a red flag, right? Because Go is entirely free. You don't have to pay for it. There's endless uh, ways to learn on your own. And the fact that they're waiting for someone to give them permission to learn uh, is a red flag, right? That's an easy one with developers. And there's the same pertains to salespeople or marketing people or product managers or designers. And you're really looking for what are they trying to learn and why haven't they learned it yet? And ideally, you want that person who is learning on their own and they're figuring out a way to get it done. And in most cases, everything that you want to learn because of great podcasts like yours and blog posts and videos and is freely available, right? There is no 
uh, gates that they have to go through anymore. So you can learn anything. So there's no excuse for you not learning something if you're truly passionate about learning that. And, and I'm delighted that you mentioned product managers there. Uh, because, well, A, because it seems to be the buzz thing for all MBAs wanting to come <laughs> out. They want to all be product managers now. Fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. But but you've said before that you would never hire PMs who've done it before. So mm-hmm. does the experience not matter to you then? Do you not think it lends to their kind of future projects? What's your secret source behind all the companies that you've founded with the PM status? I did a post on that recently, which caused a lot of uh, comments, I should say. Some Inter- positive, interest, some negative. Interest. Yeah, interest. That's, that's perfect. I'll use that. For me, you know, I, obviously I've hired lots and lots and lots and lots of people who've had previous PM experience. What I found in the way that we develop products and the way that we've, in our style, is that I didn't find a high correlation between those people who had previous product management experience uh, versus those that did not have any and success. When I look back and start to analyze why is that, I think for most of the people that we dealt with, uh, that we worked with, their past experience were coming from a stage or using a framework or a development process that was very different than our own, right? And so stage and style are very important. So someone could be a great product manager and can be at a, you know, post IPO or, you know, public company uh, who has 10,000 employees and they do a fantastic job. Them applying those same skills to your zero to 10 person company, you can have success there, but it's rare that they can apply those same playbooks and patterns that they had at the, you know, post scale phase to your scale. I and think, so I think it's we always found that product and, and sector dependent, isn't it? You know, even if you were at the same stage, Series A stage, and one's in the hiring and the other's in the, uh, I don't know, social consumer, yep. you've got immensely different spheres um, that aren't really very transferable. Totally. And I think, you know, most of the pushback that I got on my post was from people in the Bay Area, in San Francisco. And I totally get it. You know, if you worked at Twitter and LinkedIn and now you started a company that is a, in this, is also a social network, uh, yeah, you should probably hire PMs that came out of those great companies because you're probably going to learn something that's coming out of the same domain as you. But the rest of the world is not like the Bay Area, right? And even in the Bay Area, there are PMs that are coming from very different backgrounds. So it's hard to apply this kind of lesson of, well, I worked at four social networks, and so and all the PMs that I hired that from those social networks had did great. I think I would agree with that. Yes, if I was one of those, I would hire PMs uh, that came out of the last social network. And and there's a final kind of third to your hiring, and and that is the intelligence and the experience part, uh, particularly with the latter being something that I always denigrate highly, um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Uh, um, but but I'm intrigued. Then with, with experience, you also get experience in answering interview questions and doing the interview yes. process. So mm-hmm. how do you get interview candidates out of that archetypal process and mm. to really be themselves and show themselves away from the typical interview style? answering. That's so funny that you say that because I spend uh, so much time kind of in the interview process trying to break people off of their kind of rehearsed script because, uh, you know, you find someone comes into interview and they're used to the certain kind of interview process and they're kind of uh, tuned to that, right? And so they have their script 
and the more outgoing they are, the 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 more they rely on their script, or the better their script is, I should say. And uh, and so I spend my time in the interview, uh, bouncing all around and basically trying to get them off script, right? To really see who they are. And uh, and every time I feel like they're going on script, and then I uh, redirect the conversation to something else. And uh, and I you know if I were the person on the other end, I would probably think the interview process was crazy. But I'm basically trying to figure out who is Harry. You know, he keeps going back to a standard kind of interview, rehearsed kind of script. So I'm going to keep pushing to see who is this person. And then I'm going to push the interview process outside of the, the standard form. And I'm going to try to meet Harry at a bar or at, a, you know, outside. Or we're going to do a walking interview. I'm just trying to get him out of his comfort zone to try and figure out who this person is. Yeah, a, f- a founder I know, um, he always suggests that asking why questions instead of what questions is an effective strategy for getting fa- getting interview candidates off that process. Have you found that to be effective? Yes, I love that. I love the why questions. And uh, and then I love the, um, listening to the words that they're using. And are they using, are they saying we did something? Are they saying I did something? Are they saying, you know, what... Are they, how are they describing the things that happened and how much of it was them versus the team and are they giving proper credit to the team? So I'm really listening to the words that are coming out because, you know, most people are pretty polished in, in, the, um, in the interview process. I kind of think about it as dating and, you know, they're on their best behavior and in some ways this is kind of like one of the best versions of this person that you are going to encounter mm-hmm. right and the same for you right because everyone is kind of on the first date you know in the in the first date mode yeah. And so things change a lot when you actually work with someone. Yeah, no, being a podcast interviewer actually is, is similar to job interviewer in the way that you're trying to get them off the about page. Definitely <laughs> try, maybe you're trying to get a narrative, trying to weave something out. And then it always comes out when you look at the Facebook profile picture later. Uh, <laughs> oh, totally, totally. That's what you <laughs> You see. do enjoy mojitos. <laughs> Um, but 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 uh, I want to discuss then the sixty seconds after. So it's our lightning round. So sixty seconds per question. What do you think? Let's go. So must read books for startup CEOs. What's been influential for you? Oh, so many. I mean, you've probably heard all the same ones. You know, Ben Horowitz's book, Hard Thing About Hard Things. I kind of live that same story uh, in one of my companies, Compete, and so it resonated with me. Uh, my favorite book, though go back to it all the time is made in america by sam walton i think that's a must read which most people haven't read and you know here's the founding story of walmart and a man who who made that from nothing so i love that book and i love the humility uh that he shows and kind of his style in that book and then what are the big lessons that you've maybe learned the hard way throughout your incredible career I think I feel like every lesson I've learned the hard way. I think <laughs> most important one that I think about a lot is it's 99% people. And I think we forget this all the time. And I forget it all the time in, in kind of the uh, being surrounded by technology 24-7 and being in this industry for so long. It really is 99% people and 1% everything else. And uh, and I think that's how you should focus. And whether those people are people inside your team or those are partners or those are your customers, it's really all about people and the connection to people. And what CEO skill of yours are you most proud of? You know, because I think for me, it's uh, being able to spend time one-on-one with 
my team. So I take pride and I take and I spend a lot of energy just trying to really understand not only in the, in the interview process like we talked about, but on a continuous basis, really investing in the relationships with the people on the team and trying to understand how they're doing and trying to understand, uh, you know, how could we get them to grow more? How do we push them more so that they can grow and achieve their personal goals? As, and uh, and then we will benefit from that as well. And then uh, you, you said, you know, addict to, to learning and, and me similar to you, absolutely one of my fundamentals. But what's your approach then to learning? Hmm. God, that's a broad question. <laughs> that's a broad question. Never ends. So, you know, uh, I think I have like a hierarchy to learning. And I think there's some things that Ideally, I try to learn from people who have had the experience themselves. So firsthand, so firsthand research is the best, whether that is through mentors or role models or just people that I, that I connect with who are a stage, two stages, three stages, whatever the, the, the progression is ahead of me. And I try to learn firsthand from them. And that's not always easy. So if I can't do that, then I move to books, then I move to videos, then I move to podcasts like you're, like, like your own, and then I move to... Well, surely, David, that'd be at the top. That's the very top. That's first. You start Fantastic. there, and then you go towards <laughs> Absolutely. So secondary resources. Yes, and then I go secondhand research, and then uh, and then sometimes thirdhand research. I talk to people who have worked with or you know worked alongside uh, some of those folks. Mm-hmm. And and then moving off the lightning round, so you can have a bit of a breather. Um, I want to finish on a slightly unusual topic for SaaS today, and and that's the mindset approach. And um, we've seen many entrepreneurs and individuals of wildly varying degrees of success uh, and and not success. Uh, so I have to ask: when you look at both camps and and make the comparison, how do you find their mindsets differ? Uh, how does their view of the world differ? Hmm. Good question. I find you know I find more optimism in those that are more successful, at least the ones that I, you know, encounter. This idea that they can do anything, that nothing is in their way. And it doesn't mean that they're happy all the time. Optimism is, does not mean happiness or that they're smiling every day, but that they have this optimistic look on the on the world or view on the world where they think that they are in control and that they can figure out a way to make this happen. And then on the other end, I find people who are looking for that success but haven't had it's really feeling like that they're either trapped or that they don't have the tools they need to be able to uh to make it happen so maybe it comes down to personal empowerment and uh and again you know that's a broad generalization but that's kind of a common thing that i see and who do you hold kind of in admiration with this stance with kind of being incredibly successful but then maintaining true to their values and and keeping this kind of humble mindset I'm blown away most by people who repeatedly get better despite their level of success, whether that's someone like Kobe or Michael Jordan, or if that's, you know, Warren Buffett or it's, you know, Jeff Bezos or whoever you want to point to. But these people who continually get better over time, even though you ask yourself, why, why do they continue to get better? Why do they continue to try? Why not just retire? Why just keep, why keep going? And so I look at those people as uh, people that I admire. Well, David, I, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today. As I said, it was when we met at Sasta, I thought I have to have you on the show. So I'm so delighted that we finally made it happen. And it was just so great to hear your story. Thanks for having me, Harry. It was fun. Please hang up and try again. 
What a fantastic guest David was, and a huge hand again to him for giving up his time today to come on the show. Really was incredible to hear his approach to hiring and what he really thinks it takes to build that perfect team and culture. And if you're loving the show, we'd love it if you would review the show on iTunes. It makes a huge difference, and we really would be so grateful. Likewise, you can follow me on Snapchat at hstebbings, and you can follow Jason Lemkin on Twitter at JasonLK. Also, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, so do hit me up on harry at the 20 minute vc.com all in letters and i'd love 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 to hear your feedback and we cannot wait to bring you next week's show and for all the show notes of all the past shows and today's show simply head over to sasta.com that's s-a-a-s-t-r.com thank you so much as always for your continued support and we look very forward to bringing you next week's show